Our reading this week comes from uh, Luke 21 through 24. And here we look at the passion of the Christ. As I was reading over it and thinking, you know, this is, we're coming up on the time of the year at Passover when uh, Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Now, we don't have a certain time of the year that the Bible tells us to recognize that. We do that every first day of the week. We recognize that Christ rose from the dead. Tonight, what I want to do is to get into Luke 24. And I want to look at the nature of the resurrection because Luke has some details here that really stand out. And these are some things that are essential, very core and basic to our theology. I was thinking about when I first got here. I've been here now 26 months, but over two years. And my first sermons, I, I remember emphasizing and thinking I need to talk a lot about the resurrection. Um, in addition to other things, I need to talk about you know, where I stood on matters of salvation and what the Bible says that one must do and what the Bible says about the church. Those are some core things that need to be uh, taught from the very beginning that you need to know that I know them and I need to know that you know them. And we're going to revisit that a little bit tonight. We'll get a little bit deeper as far as thinking about the nature of Jesus' resurrection, how he rose from the dead, and what that was like. And I find a lot of this very fascinating because it reflects our hope on the resurrection. So we're going to think about that a little bit further. Um, Again, blessed are those who know what is the gospel. You know what the gospel is. And I was thinking about that, and I heard Richard standing up here, and he's doing the table, and he says, we're here to think about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, that is it. Um, That is noted even by uh, historians who don't believe as the earliest creed dating um, right from Jesus's resurrection within uh, the skeptics would say within five, five years, we would say it would start right then, immediately. Um, that alone is a strong evidence for the gospel, and one that I take personally to heart. So I want to look at Luke 24, we're going to look at a number of scriptures and the events that go on here, and Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Uh, we've gotten some depiction tonight in our singing of the songs, and hopefully thinking about Lord's Supper, that as Christ was crucified and he was buried. So what happens? What says here on the first day of the week? That's why we're gathered here on the first day of the week, because this is what we read that happens. Luke 24, 1 through 3. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They went to the tomb. We know who they are, especially if you read the context in chapter 23. The women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared a number of women that are specified and named. And again, Luke emphasizes the active work in women um, within Jesus' ministry and around him more than the other Gospels do. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. What happened to his body? And there are a lot of things that people have assumed and have thought about. You had the accusation in Matthew that Jesus' body was stolen. Uh, Later, rabbis would say, yes, Jesus' body was stolen, but not by the disciples. They had to change the story. They they would claim his body was stolen by the gardener. Um, There's no evidence for that. It's all 
speculative, and there is a lot of there are a lot of holes in that. You're appealing to possibility to explain way too much. When we look at the more more of the details, we see that those kind of claims do not fit in. What we see here is Jesus' body is not there. Why is his body not there? You know, some might think his body was assumed. You know what that means. Have you ever heard the concept of an assumption? Um, there is a, a church today that is, uh, I don't know another way to put it, they're denominational, but they have this idea that when Jesus' mother Mary died, that she was assumed, her body disappeared and was assumed into heaven. Okay, that's the idea. So there's some weird, strange concepts about what happened to Jesus' body. We're going to see very clearly tonight that the emphasis is on his body and that his body is not there because his body rose. His body was restored. His body put on the immortal nature that Christ still has, according to Colossians 2 and verse 9, that he is the fullness of deity bodily, and that is in the present tense. He still is at the right hand of God, maintaining that body. So why did, again, why did nobody find the body of Jesus? What is the explanation of this? And this has been a big question for scholars and historians for years. Most critical historians today who don't want to accept the gospel will say, we don't know. We have no explanation. We're not even going to try to explain it because every time we do, the argument falls apart. So they take an agnostic position on it. So we should not think that the nature of Jesus' resurrection does not matter. It matters in so many ways. It matters in what you believe in, what you hope in for eternal life. It matters about what we believe in as Christians, our doctrine, how we understand baptism, what it means to start living a new life, what it means to be born again, what it means to die to oneself. All those things are practically tied in. What it means to live and have the eternal life that Jesus promises us. It's all in this. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says, if you do not believe that Jesus resurrected bodily from the dead, you're not a Christian. You're not really a believer. You don't really have hope. So it matters that you believe in this. And not only that, Paul goes on to say, it matters how you understand the resurrection, how Jesus rose, how we're going to rise. It's all about our hope. So the angels, we see this read a bit further in Luke chapter 24, verses 4 through 7. The angels at the tomb, so the women are there. And they're perplexed about seeing the stone rolled away. And behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? So there's men at the tomb who are telling the women, He is alive. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. We see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus constantly telling His disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be died. I'm, I'm going to be uh, crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise on the third day. We go on. We continue to read here. How would you have responded hearing the news about this? And I think that is also fascinating because Luke tells us that the news about Jesus' empty tomb and the appearance of the angels spread throughout Jerusalem on that day. Everybody knew. Everybody So how would you respond to hearing that the day of? 
So the women report these things, and, well, the apostles think it's an idle tale. That's, they're thinking, wait, but how would it be an idle tale? And so Jesus, actually, when we read the other Gospels, he rebukes them for this, for not believing the witnesses, for not listening to the women who came and told you, the tomb's empty, this is what we saw, we saw the angels, and they didn't believe it. They didn't pay attention to it. We go a little bit further down, Luke 24 and verse uh, 12 and following. Uh, Luke um, reports that Peter rose and ran to the tomb to confirm the report. And someone might say, well, why does Luke say that? And then we read in the other Gospels that it was Peter and John running. Why is John not mentioned here? Well, you keep reading in Luke chapter 24, you get down to verse 24, and the two disciples that Jesus is talking to on the road to Emmaus, they give the report that some of those who were with us went to the tomb. So it wasn't just Peter and it wasn't just John. There were others and the women. They, they went to the tomb and they found it. More The sum here are other men, other disciples. So it's not just Peter and John, but others went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What happened to the body of Jesus? It's a very strange thing. I remember it's been about a year, but I, I gave a sermon on Sunday morning and I talked to you about the Nazareth inscription. You remember this? It was set up by Caesar Claudius, and in it was set up in Nazareth, and it was a warning that nobody steal bodies from the tomb. Why, the, why would the emperor of Rome post that a few years after Jesus died and the word went out that he had resurrected from the dead and that he's known as Jesus of Nazareth? I think it has to be connected with Jesus and with what had spread throughout the world at that time. So there you have something archaeological outside of the Bible, again, confirming what we read in Scripture. But Jesus' body was not in the tomb because he had bodily resurrected. And that is something that we need to understand. There are other ways that people claim that Jesus came to life again that are wrong. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But when Jesus had joined the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the news of the women, uh, women's report, again, had spread throughout all the area of Jerusalem. You can see that here in Luke 24, in these passages here. I'm going to read Luke 24, 22 to 24. And this is what we read. However, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And so this is them speaking to Jesus and giving a report of what was going on and saying, listen, you haven't heard this? They didn't know who they were talking to Jesus at the time. Jesus had joined them on the road to Emmaus. They don't know who he is. They're not able to recognize him, whether he's covered in a hood or had something to do with his resurrection. There's different thoughts on that. But they're at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they'd even seen vision, a vision of angels who said that he was alive, and some of those who were with us again went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said as we had read before, but him they did not see. That's the report that they said spread all around Jerusalem. And the emphasis there, I'm going to go back there. What did they not find? They didn't find his body. He had resurrected from the dead. Now, Jesus, they still don't know who he is, but Jesus speaks to them. He says, oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus hears these things and he says, don't you understand? Don't you know this is what was already written? This is what was prophesied? This is what the law and the prophets had said was going to happen? And he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer those things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. We continue to see that emphasized in, in Luke and Acts and throughout the Gospels. Is that here you have these writings, revered by the Jewish people as holy writings, written by men, guided by God, guided by the Holy Spirit, making predictions of the future, of the coming Messiah. Here Jesus has come. He resembles the Messiah in every single way and fulfills it in every single detail. And here Jesus himself is able to teach his disciples and two of them and say, listen, this is what the scriptures say. What happened? You should know this. Be able to interpret these things concerning Christ. Now, as the two disciples later reported seeing Jesus, they were standing in the midst of the apostles, and this is when we see Jesus appears to them. So if you were standing and you were a part of the apostles, and you imagine yourself in that, in that room, that upper room, and Jesus just appears, what are you thinking? I'm hallucinating. I'm having a vision. It's a spirit, it's a ghost. Those are things you might be thinking of. Now, how Jesus appeared there, now, if you, do, you look here in Luke 24, he's with the men on the road to Emmaus. He sits down, comes to their home. He breaks bread with them, and he no longer appears before them. So Jesus has the ability, even though he has resurrected, to appear and then reappear. How? How can he do that? Uh, is he just a ghost? Is he just a vision? Is this just their own delusions? How do you explain that? So the disciples thought they were seeing a spirit. That's what they say in verse 37. It's just a ghost. That's what they thought. And why would the apostles think that? I think we know what would go, be going through our heads. That's probably the conclusion I would come through to. And, and I'm not even someone who would look for a ghost. I would think that if I did see a ghost, thinking I'm thinking I'm seeing a spirit, I'm going to want to avoid it because I don't know what kind of spirit that is. And then... Here it appears that Jesus is in my midst, but we know he's been crucified and he's buried, but now his body's missing. Now he's standing in our midst. The very puzzling thing, as I mentioned at the very beginning, today many believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but, and this is what liberal scholars say, people who claim to be Christians, they'll say, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, and this, this is coming into lots of conservative Bible-based churches well, Jesus rose from the dead. He was just, it was just a vision of him. He, he didn't really bodily rise from the dead. This is what some of them are saying. Some say, well, he rose as a spirit, but he, it wasn't his physical body. Of course, he, he wasn't material. That, he couldn't have risen that way. These are things that are being said. These are things being believed by scholars and universities, taught by preachers, coming even into some of the churches of Christ. And to me, they're very concerning because I can read right here. So the apostles are thinking, here's Jesus. He's just a spirit. What's the truth of the matter? You know the truth of the matter if you've read it. Luke 24, 38 to 39, this will be the key passage tonight of our focus. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Doubts. What are they doubting? that he's not really there. This isn't, this is just, or maybe he's there, it's just his ghost or spirit. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. Can you touch a spirit? For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows how they're doubting. You're, 
They're doubting by not believing in the bodily resurrection. You know, Jesus could have said, well, very good, you believe I rose from the dead and I'm a, that uh, I'm a spirit, but, you know, I'm not really a spirit. I, I am a, you know, a bodily form, flesh and blood. He doesn't say it that way. He rebukes them for not believing that he rose, flesh and blood, resurrected bodily from the dead, restored to health after being crucified, after enduring all those things. And then furthermore, he asks for something to eat and sits down and eats fish in their midst. I can't think of any more evidence that you can give to show that you've resurrected from the dead. You can touch him. You can feel his scars. You can look at his wounds. You can touch his side. And here he is eating food. He is resurrected from the dead. And that tells us a lot about what the resurrection will be like for us. You need to think about that a bit further. But to rise to life again in one's flesh and blood, that is the definition of resurrection. In the Greco-Roman world, the Greeks, I mean, I've read sources upon sources of it, and I've been putting off writing a book on it because this is, I studied the most in graduate school, the nature of the belief of the resurrection. The Greek word anastasia is where we get the word anastasia. Anastasia means resurrection. Anastasia in Greek. And the definition of it is to bodily rise. And the Greeks were appalled by the idea of it. And the Romans hated the idea of it. But the Jews believed it. They said the resurrection is coming. Most Jews did. Some of the Jews, the Sadducees, of course, you know that they didn't believe in the spirit or the afterlife or anything like that. But as far as the mainstream Jews, they believed in resurrection and they looked forward to it because they were told about it over and over again. I think this is an interesting thought. You start thinking about how Jesus rose from the dead. What is it that the apostles saw? Because here, here's the thing. We have 500 people in the Bible who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. You have numerous witnesses. How many witnesses do you need to know that something has happened? Now, you might be saying, well, this is an extraordinary event and it needs extraordinary evidence. Well, if someone told me that someone rose from the dead and I knew that person who told me that and I had another witness who told me that, yeah, I can see why someone's still as doubtful. But if I hear it again and again and again, and then they're telling me that they're not the only witnesses, but there are dozens, hundreds more who saw Jesus, who touched Jesus, who ate with Jesus. I have no reason not to believe that. You know, somebody says, you know, there's this strange light in the sky. You know, you hear people talking about like aliens and comparing different things. You know, if we had multiple witnesses saying, Listen, uh, I saw Elvis Presley. <laughs> and, and they constantly said it, and there's a number of witnesses, and others are saying, yeah, we saw him too. And some people who act, they actually knew Elvis back in the day, and now they're saying, no, he didn't really die. I would have reason to believe that. Um, of course, you don't have that. And we can apply it to the UFO lights in the sky. Someone says, hey, there is a lights moving around the sky. There's multiple witnesses of it. Okay, I believe that. Yeah, it was an actual ship and it landed. I said, okay, I can believe that. Um, it's going to be a lot harder with the little green men. But you, you better give me some good evidence. But when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, you have multiple witnesses. You have prophecies and scriptures. You have the God who created the universe. And if you believe in God and you look at Jesus and you look at his whole life and you see him rise, raising people from the dead, you see him doing miracles that only God can do through him, and you've experienced this, you have multiple witnesses, not just of his resurrection, but his whole life, who he is, what kind of man he is, 
all the way down to the point that he dies such a heroic, humble death that he's buried in an honorable way, and then his tomb is found empty, and hundreds of people said he rose from the dead. That's no alien claim there. There's so much more to it. It's not, it's nothing like that. Nothing like even claiming that there's witnesses of Elvis being alive or whatever. Nothing comparable to this. And it's extremely hard for anybody to wrestle with and deny. I want you to look at this. Did Jesus rise as a spirit and ascend into heaven? What would make anything special about Jesus if you said that? Because everybody dies. And the belief is, by most people, is that good people die, and when they die, their spirit leaves their body, and then what happens? Well, of course, good people go to heaven. Whether God's involved or not, a lot of people believe this, and then their spirit goes to heaven. What makes Jesus any different? Okay, so Jesus died. He was a good man. His spirit went to heaven. Now we get to see his spirit a little bit, and then he goes back to heaven. There's nothing significant or important about that. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, you're just believing what all people have believed for a long time. Did, and that would, be no, that would be no message to be proclaiming in, out, throughout the world. Did Jesus rise in his, as an ecstatic um, trance? Was he just a, a vision? Did these men like Peter and John, did they get themselves worked up in a way that they could see things or do things? And that has been the explanation for the prophets in the Old Testament. Secular scholars who don't believe, they'll say, what happened with Elijah and Elijah and what happened with Isaiah and Jeremiah is they just got themselves all worked up and then they started writing this amazing stuff is that what happened is were they just there and they all were hallucinating do you know that there there is no recorded um, accounts of mass hallucinations not one in medical journals do you know how many journals record out-of-body experiences there, the record I saw the other day was that there are over 30 million claims today recorded in journals of people coming close to death and then seeing their own self outside of their body. What are you going to do with all those witnesses? I think that's something to think about. But when we look at this, it's not a, this is not a mass hallucination because it's not, it's not possible. It's not an ecstatic trance among these believers. Did Jesus rise in an emotional sense? So, you know, the disciples could have been sitting around. They're weeping. They're crying. Their teacher's gone. They feel really bad about what's going on, but they feel, they feel good about it. They feel so good about it, they feel that Jesus is in their midst. Does that mean he rose from the dead? That's not a resurrection. That's what they're claiming is that Jesus' body is gone and he resurrected from the dead. That's not a spirit. That's not an ecstatic trance. That's not an emotional feeling. That's not what's claimed in the Bible. What's claimed throughout the Scriptures, what's testified to is that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And with the weaknesses we just saw in all these, which one of these explains why the church exists today? Because I think the church, is, again, tells you and proves, the fact that the church exists proves that Jesus rose from the dead. Because all these other claims right here would not have started any movement in the church. Would not have started a group of people believing that Jesus resurrected from the dead. None of them can. And 
there's actually academic writing on this if you want to get deeper into it. But the church did not start because someone privately saw a spirit or got into a trance, had a vision, had an emotional experience. It's not how the church started. What happened was is that there were a bunch of believers, people who lived with Jesus, even non-believers, who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, hundreds of them, and they believed that Jesus bodily resurrected from the dead because they touched him and they ate with him, they spent time with him, and that message has changed them, changed them to the core so much that they went and told the whole entire world Jesus rose from the dead. That's how the church began. And it couldn't have begun any other way. And so when I read these scriptures... When I read about Jesus resurrected from the dead and I I read them looking for the body of Jesus and I I read some of these things, I'm just in awe of it because the resurrection of Jesus is amazing and powerful. It's the basis of what we believe in. And then that brings us fundamentally down to everything that we believe as far as when Christ comes back, the end times and the ultimate fate of all of humanity. And Jesus says when he comes, he'll call the dead from the tombs. John chapter 5, 28 and 29. That he will raise the faithful to life again. John chapter 6 and verse 40. And there are a number of other scriptures. So if Jesus rose as a spirit, it might be, as a lot of people believe today, the resurrection is just a spirit thing. Our souls will be raptured into heaven, is what the people say. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches when Christ comes back, our bodies will be changed if you're alive. If you're dead, you will be resurrected. You will put on the immortal, the heavenly state, so that you can be in the presence of God for all of eternity in the heavenly country that he has prepared for us. That's what the Bible teaches. Not an invisible spirit disappearing, something like you might see in Left Behind movie or something like that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Christians will resurrect as Christ resurrected. In fact, the Bible says he is the first, the beginning of the resurrection. He did it, and we're going to follow after him. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's what the Bible teaches. We can get into more detail about that at another time. But I want to emphasize the importance of what we've been reading here about Jesus' resurrection. Now, as we finish tonight, I think a significant part is Jesus appears to his disciples. He's bodily resurrected from the dead. He has a different nature about him because he can appear and reappear. He's put on the eternal, immortal nature. He's giving us the hope of that one day. And what does he tell his disciples and what does he teach them? So Jesus begins to explain these things. Now let's go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read from it and make some observations from it. Luke 24, 44 to 49. I'm going to back up here and kind of hide my observations there. Luke 24, down in verse 44 to 49. Let's read this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that means all the scriptures, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that, that's something significant. Jesus opens their mind to understand the scriptures. He explains to it. He, he expands on it. Verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's expanding and opening their mind by teaching them. That's what I'm seeing here. 
Why? Because he's saying, look, in the Christ, according to the Scriptures, he's going to die, he's going to suffer, he's going to rise on the third day. Now they're starting to put it together. They know it now. They understand it. Verse 47, And that repentance and forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. There's the promise to bless all the nations. Started with Abraham. It's continued down. And as a number of Scriptures predicted, it would start from Jerusalem. He says, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You've seen this. You've experienced it. You've seen me resurrected from the dead. You've seen all these events. And he says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. He has promised them the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. There it is, the Holy Spirit. So a few observations about this. So Jesus appears resurrected from the dead. And what's the first thing he wants to teach them? Here's the gospel. You've seen it. It's been predicted. It was prophesied in Scripture. It's been fulfilled. I did what God sent me to do. He opened their minds, teaching them how to understand the Scriptures. And the key thing today to understand the Scriptures and why a lot of people don't understand their Bibles is because they don't know what the Gospel is. They don't know what the resurrection is. They don't understand it. They'll read their Bibles and they just gloss through it, but they don't make any connections here. And I think that's a strange thing because I'll talk to my friends, my Baptist friends and other friends in different churches, and I'll say, what do you think about baptism and its connection to, you know, the Bible says that when you're baptized, God does the work of raising you up to a new life and he washes and he takes away all your sins. There's a picture there in the resurrection. Don't you think that the whole power of salvation is in the resurrection of Christ? Yes. So when God raises us from baptism, we're saved? No, is what they'll say. I can't comprehend that. It doesn't make any sense to me. It sounds like the denial of the Pharisees, like you read about in Luke 7 and verse 30. But then Jesus goes on and he teaches them further. He says, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a call for repentance, for forgiveness? It's going to go out to all the nations. This is the hope. This is the message to all the world. This is what you are looking for from the Messiah. And Jesus is sending them out as witnesses. And he's going to prepare them by sending them the Holy Spirit. He's going to give them power from on high to take that truth, to do miracles, to speak in different languages, and to proclaim the resurrection. Because Jesus' resurrection is at the core of what we believe, it's what we do, it's why we're here on the first day of the week. Jesus' resurrection, it changes the way we view things. It changes the way that we view love, and we see God's promises, we see who He is, how He loves us, and how He gives us eternal life. If you're not amazed of the resurrection, the depth of it, the application of it, I don't know what to do for you. If the gospel doesn't strike you to the heart and challenge you, I don't know what to do for you. How do you feel about the gospel? Maybe it's just me, but I'm infatuated with the subject. I love to think about Jesus' resurrection, the implications of what the Bible says, and I can't let go of it. A lot of things that I studied in the scriptures, and I became a Christian when I was 11 years old, almost 12, when I was baptized. And I've told you before, it was the preaching of the gospel that when I was 15, 16 16 years old, it just grabbed hold of me and it hasn't let go. And it won't let go. Because, you know, I might have all these different temptations and things pulling on me in the world, And I can't let go of the idea of the witnesses, of the prophecies and the predictions 
of the way that Jesus lived and how he died. His tomb is empty, and he rose from the dead. Luke 24 ends with these four verses. Luke 24, 50 to 53. Now there's some time that has been broken up in here that we read about in the other Gospels. Um, and some have talked about, is this the resurrect, the ascension right here, or is Jesus ascending and coming back? And I take this as he's, he is ascending here and coming back to, to them. But he led them as far as Bethany, outside of Jerusalem. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He blessed them. He's appeared to them. He's taught them the gospel. He's told them they're going to be witnesses. He's told them the great mission that they're going on. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. See, that's the response to the gospel. Great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. I would be too. If I were a part of this and I saw this, and we should be, even now, great joy, blessing and thanking God. That's why we're here. That's why we worship Him. We believe in the resurrection. I encourage you tonight, if you haven't been united with Christ in baptism, then you haven't risen up with Him yet. You haven't had what God promises you, the forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. And I would encourage you in every way to make sure that you have the one baptism that you read about in the Scriptures that we look at right here. The one baptism where Jesus says in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That we read about in Acts 2, verse 38, that you need to, be repent, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That baptism is in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 10, 47 and 48 tells us that the baptism in Jesus' name is in water. It's not some kind of existential, spiritual born-again change that is not connected with Jesus' command to be immersed in water. It is. This partakes of the death of Christ and the resurrection. Tonight, if you haven't partaken of that, think about it, pray about it. We want to encourage you and study with you further. you need any other encouragement tonight, we want to pray with you. You can come forward and sit on the front pew. Let's sing together.